Well, obviously, they didn't take a vote in between the weeks to invite me back a second time because uh, it could have been in the balance, I think, for sure. But I wanted to tell you, if you missed last Sunday, where we were. We looked at Acts chapter 1, and you can just thumb through your Bibles there, your iPhone, wherever your Bible's found. And, and you can remember that last time together, we were talking about not a formula, uh, not something that's a recipe, but rather, we were talking about the idea of this. Can we, in the 21st century, like the folks in the book of Acts, can we put our, our, ourselves in a position to, to prepare to receive the power of God? Are there some, there's some ideas that we can look at from the book that suggest to us, like them, if we were willing to be open to that place, to be in prayer, to be gathered together, to be depending on the Lord expectant, could we see the power of God displayed in our generation? Now, I'm happy to report to you that the book of Acts gets even more exciting than chapter 1, where Jesus makes the promises that uh, in a few days... Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come, you need to wait, that sort of thing. Because that's, in fact, what happens in the book of Acts. One chapter after another, there is an expression of the power of God that, that's so compelling, so exciting, so inspiring to our own Christian walks. In fact, if you were to just look at your Bibles in Acts chapter 2, we see the, God, the, see the power of God to, to send His Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the church is born. In chapter 3, we see the power of God uh, for Him to heal the, the crippled beggar, and as a result of the healing, the gospel is proclaimed. In Acts chapter 5, we see the power of God to discern deceivers, and we have that incredible story of Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, just read it however you want to, apply it as you wish, but, but don't deceive God. Don't think you're going to get away with it. That's what it says here. In Acts chapter 9, we have the, the power of God on display to convict that mean man, Saul, who thinks he's doing God a favor by trying to destroy the early church. And we see his conversion on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, we see that incredible display of the power of God where in two locations, he's speaking to two different groups so they can come together, speaking to Cornelius up in Caesarea, speaking to Peter down in Joppa and saying, you two need to get together and you know the gospel comes to the Gentiles. In fact, if it hadn't happened, we wouldn't be having church today, I don't think. Because that's when the gospel first went to the Gentiles. Now, in the first 15 chapters of the book of Acts, it seems like it's all good. There's some persecution, that's for sure. But even that persecution leads to displays of God's actions and works. But there are two glitches in the book of Acts in those first 15 chapters. One glitch is in Acts 6, remember? where there's a problem about the serving of the widows and the apostles are wanting to devote themselves to prayer and fasting and they need to raise up some leadership in the church because the church needs a little bit of structure 
It needs someone to serve the widow. So there's a glitch, but it's solved. But then there's a second glitch, and it occurs in Acts 15. And that's where I want you to open your Bibles with me today. I want to tell you a little bit about that glitch. So as the early church is preaching the gospel of Jesus, liberty in Jesus, freedom in Jesus, redemption in Jesus, there are Jewish Christians, Jewish believers in Jesus that have come to understand that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And they are saying about the Gentiles, fundamentally, you have to almost become Jewish to become Christian. And, and it's not fair. What we had to go through, I don't need to go into detail. You can read between the lines. But it's not fair that the men don't have to take the same sign of faith that Abraham took in the very beginning. It's not fair that these Gentiles are just sliding in by grace through faith. They, they also need to become Jewish externally. And the Apostle Paul at the council says that's not the case. I argue against that. Conversion is a conversion of the heart. It's not a mark that you take in your body in the most private places which is a picture, obviously, of God saying it's that private place internally that I'm going to save your heart. And so he argues against it, and the Jewish believers and the council agree, okay, we don't require the, the Gentiles to go the same way as the Jews, but there's one little thing we want to say. They, they have to be sensitive when they're around their Jewish uh, friends that they don't eat meat sacrificed to idols or strangled with blood. It's, it's, it's a compromise. Now, I'm just going to say a side note here. You, you can study that for a week and try to understand that. Why do they even add any conditions? And I think simply it is they're just trying to have peace in the church. So, two glitches solved. The serving of widows and requiring Gentile Christians to become Jewish before they can be believers in Jesus. They solve both problems. And so it would be great to like begin to sing, and they lived happily ever after. There's no more trouble, right? It's all done. No more conflict. We solved the two biggies. There's no more conflict. But sadly, so sadly, in the same chapter, Acts chapter 15, the conf there's a conflict that comes right after the council. And it involves guys that you would say should know better. And frankly, it convicts us because we are not the Apostle Paul. And we are not Barnabas. And yet these two giants of the faith leaving the council, which was a place of peace, in the same chapter have a major conflict. Now let's look at that conflict and I want to talk to you today about this idea of what do you do when the godly disagree? What do you do with conflict in your life? How do you go about it? Well, once again, we have some clues from Acts chapter 15. So if you'd open your Bibles there, Acts 15, beginning at verse 36, and reading to the end of the chapter, let's stand in honor of God's Word and see 
how this unfolds and what we can say about when the godly disagree. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Pay attention to this next sentence. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Our Father, we pray that you'll take the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, and make them pleasing in your sight, O God. Lord, would you teach us today about conflict and how to manage it with truth and love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. This is sad to me. This is not the way it should be in my way of thinking. But you know, it's uh, what we all learn very early on, that conflict, unfortunately, because of the brokenness even of believers, exists between us, those who would consider ourselves in pursuit of God. Now, I did not want to believe this, but this is how it happened for me. I grew up in a family where there was so much conflict, and in my way of thinking, I thought, that's just sinful. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. So after I went into ministry and I entered my first position as a youth minister, I was shocked that there was conflict on our church staff. In fact, conflict perpetrated by the senior pastor that I served. I mean, I could not get my mind around it. But now, after 35 years of being a pastor, I'm just here to tell you, this is a reality. We have conflict among us all the time. Now, we can argue whether it should be so or not, but the fact is, it is a reality. So what do we do as godly people to respond to this? And what observation should we make about this idea when the godly find themselves in disagreement? Well, let me say four things this morning. And it might be worth just jotting down these principles, especially one principle. I'll tell you when we get to it, I think you want to take some notes during that one. Uh, because I think it could help. Here's the first thing I want to say. Disagreements between the godly happen even moments, after, even after moments of extraordinary victory. I mean, look at your Bibles. Acts 15, 1 through 35, is about the resolution of conflict in the, in the early church. And yet the next verses, the second half of the chapter, is about a conflict 
between two of the biggest church leaders of all time, and it has to do with this fellow named John Mark. Now, who is John Mark? Well, let me give you some background, and I think you'll understand the conflict more. He is Barnabas's cousin. That's what it says in Colossians 4.10. And he may have grown up in Jerusalem as his mother owned a house there. Acts 12, verse 12. He was a young man when Jesus was on the earth. Mark 14, 51 tells us that. And he followed Jesus closely during his passion and fled naked when people seized him. Do you remember that? This is the same, this is the same young man. He was a close associate and friend of Peter says one of the church fathers in A.D. 140. He was added to Paul and Silas's mission team, Acts 12. And watch this. He becomes the writer of the Gospel of Mark, which is focused on servanthood. Now that should give you some clues why this conflict happened. What is it that he did that was so wrong in Paul's mind? Well, the Bible says clearly, Acts 13, 13, he deserted them. From Paphos, Paul and his companion sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, when you look at this conflict between Paul and, and Barnabas, who do you think is wrong in this? Well, here's the answer. Everybody's wrong and everybody's right. Everybody in this story has some culpability. John Mark made a big mistake to desert the mission. Maybe he was afraid. Barnabas, the encourager, may have been too nice in all of this. And Paul, the fiery zealot, may have been difficult to be around. You know that, right? <laughs> John Mark's this tender guy seized with fear in many circumstances, lives in Jerusalem, and he might have just been thinking, I don't like hanging with Paul. He's too hard to get along with. And additionally, there could have been more to the story. In Galatians 2, if you leaf over there, you'll see this. Paul says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. You see? There was an undergirding of this this conflict, it, it didn't just happen in one decision. There was some things stirring between Paul and, and Barnabas and John Mark in the way his personality was. There, was. there was trouble. You know, here's the point. It's interesting what I'm saying to you here is that disagreements between the godly happen even moments after extraordinary victory. Years ago, our church, Austin Oaks, um, did the purpose-driven life. 
It's the time in our church's history where we had the most people coming, most people involved in small groups. It was like the pinnacle. It was unbelievable how effective this time was in our church's life. But unbeknownst to me, there was one small group who was complaining about purpose-driven life. I didn't know about it at the time. So here there's this great crescendo and enthusiasm and joy, and we're so excited. But there's this one little small group filled with church leaders, I might add, that were undermining all that was going on. And I wished I had studied this passage before Purpose Driven Life. Because I would know. I would not have been caught off guard. And sometimes I'm quite naive about things. This is what you need to file away in your mind. Today it might be just incredibly beautiful. But I'm telling you, often trouble, disagreement, struggle comes right after the victory. So be aware. There's a second principle I want you to see here about this idea of when the godly disagree. Secondly, the cause of disagreements may begin small, but grow into full-blown separation. Now, when you look back at this passage in Acts 15 at first glance, the issue over John Mark should have been easy to solve. We have no idea why he went back home. Could have been homesick. Could have been physically sick. Maybe he heard some news from home and he thought he should go back. But in any case, a difference in opinion became a sharp disagreement. What was possibly a small infraction became a federal case. What was a misdemeanor became a felony. And the result was a sharp disagreement so severe that Paul and Barnabas went separate ways. Things can start very small, but turn into an earthquake, a a massive situation. You know that, don't you? I remember one time I got an email. By the way, that's not good that you respond to emails, especially when you're a pastor. Just call them up and say, hey, can we get together? But I was a fool in the day. And someone wrote me an email and said, hey, Pastor Rob, there's a There's a Sunday school class being taught by somebody here in the church about animals in the Bible. I can't believe we're going to be teaching a Sunday school class about animals in the Bible. So I wrote back, I will check into it and get back with you. So I call up the guy who's going to teach. He's a veterinarian. And you know what the the study was? It was the study of why God chose animals in the sacrificial system. Why did he choose that? Very healthy. So I write this guy back. Hey, it's, it's not just about animals in the Bible. It's about why sacrifice? What's the heart of God in, in sacrifice? Why is that going to happen? He writes me back and says, I'm not satisfied. I want to talk more. I write him back and says, I think it's okay. Don't worry with it. It's going to be okay. He writes me back and says, no, no, I'm not okay. I'm just really upset. And we're thinking about leaving the church over the Sunday school class. And I write back, this is terrible. (laughs) I write back, man, (laughs) what's got in your crawl? What's going on? (laughs) 
And that was my last email. But he sent me a hundred pages more of email that lasted for a year. Finally, left the church. What was just a little tiny thing, animals in the Bible, turned into absolute separation. Listen, I'm trying to say something to you that you need to wake up to. Something so innocent can turn into something so terrible that leads people away from relationship altogether. And we should be aware and on this side know where certain circumstances are going to go if we pursue them. I got an email about six months ago from this guy I've never heard of about Trinitarianism. Let me tell you how smart I am now. Thank you for your email. I will pray for you this week. Sincerely, Pastor Rob Harrell. He kept coming more and more and more. I never responded. Because I know something now that you don't need to go there, right? Let it go. There's a third principle I want you to see in this disagreement that happens here. Although reconciliation is the ideal, it may be a while before relationships are restored. Now, wouldn't it be great if we read this story and like in Acts 16:1, it says that they had worked it out and they come together and they were all right. There was peace. I mean, wouldn't it have been great if it could have been like the story of Nathan and David, where in the very moment that Nathan confronts David and there's a conflict that is, is brought to bear there, David, what does he do? Instead of being defensive, he lays down. He repents. Psalm 51, he lets it go. He just lets it go. Or wouldn't it be great if we had the story like Joseph and his brothers and the reconciliation that came there? You know, even how Joseph goes on and, and, and says, look, you, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people this day. So he just lets it go. Wouldn't that be great if that's what could have happened here? Wouldn't that be great if that's what happened in our lives every time? I, I didn't mean it. Take back. I take it back. I take it back. But people don't want to let you lay it down. And you don't want to lay it down. It just festers and goes on. You know, the thing I want you to write down is this, and this is a conviction. We often stew on things for years. I mean, it's possible that there are some people sitting in this auditorium right now because you are not reconciled with people in this space. You're way over there and they're way over there, and there's a reason for that. You came in two different doors because there's been something you, you've stewed over. There's a conflict, and you've just, instead of solving it, have let it go on. That's possible. And for sure it's possible that we are in conflict with people who are not in this auditorium with us. Family members and old friends and broken relationships and former employees and bosses. We just 
lay in our beds at night and stew over it. Not thinking it's going to harm us at all, but it is. Now, just to encourage you, if you're stewing over something, I've often wondered if Paul ever reconciled with Alexander the metalworker. You know what he says in 2 Timothy 4? Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You, should, you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Do you think Paul and the metalworker got together ever? Or here's another one. I always wondered if Paul ever reconciled with Demas who loved the world more. 2 Timothy 4, 9, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. We all long for reconciliation. It's in our souls. It's in our spirit to want to be reconciled. But we often let it go for a long time. Like in England years ago, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Stott for years, the, the leaders of the church in England, the Anglican church, they were, again, they were not reconciled. And it caused great grief. Or I know there was a young man in my world who I totally misunderstood. He misunderstood me. And for five years, we didn't talk anymore, even though we used to meet for breakfast once a month. Until I was in my study one morning, the Lord convicted me, and I reached out and said, Brother, we should not have this distance. And he responded immediately, Beautiful. Or I remember the time where the man who drove into town to vote against me in 1990, because I was too young at the right age of 35, he drove in to vote against me and was against me for the first 10 years I was at the church. I remember as he's on his deathbed in his living room, he calls me over. I come to the house. <laughs> he says this to me. He says, hey, before I die, and he, he died the next week. He said, before I die, I just want to apologize for you to you. He said, I, I, I've had the gift of criticism, and I, I've been against you. Now, I went and looked that up. Is there such a thing? <laughs> the gift of criticism. But here he is, listen, on his deathbed, asking my forgiveness. Or I remember standing at, at a coffin with the, a man who'd passed away, his wife standing here, and I'm here, and she's apologizing to me for his behavior in the church. Listen, that's kind of too late. I appreciated it. But you don't want to wait till you die to resolve conflict. Now, I'm going to give you something very practical here. You ready? Take out your pens. I want you to write. I'm going to give you five styles of conflict management uh, offered by a man named Norman Shawchuk. And this is going to give you some insight into the way you see conflict and especially how you try to resolve it. One style of conflict management is what we call avoidance. I'll put it on the screen for you. I'm afraid to resolve or don't care enough 
to resolve. Let's avoid conflict at all costs and hope it goes away. And what's the result? Conflicts go from bad to worse. And hostility sets in. A second style is called accommodating. I desire to preserve the relationship at all costs. So what happens is this. Presence of conflict is denied. Let's just forgive and forget because there's a false front presented, public agreement may lead to private anger or bitterness. We still are steaming underneath. There's a third style of conflict management. It's called competing. There are only two solutions, win or lose, and I want to win. It's a very competitive style. Goals and objectives are more important than people. And the result is hostility and distance remains. There's a fourth style called compromising. Each side wins some, gives some. Every must, everyone must give in just a little bit, compromise to get to a solution. But what happens is, listen, the truth is sacrificed and relationships are not solved. Here's the best. It's called collaborating. Get everyone involved and solve the conflict by affirming truth. People come into the meeting, whoever's involved, with humility because they've spent time with God. All involved are considered significant. The issues are clarified through discussion. Forgiveness is sought and sin and responsibility it is accepted. The atmosphere is one of grace, love, and acceptance. And because there's an ownership of solution, respect for persons and truth emerges from this. And there's a chance that the conflict can be resolved. You see, the best solution is collaboration. But I'll just say, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas did not have Norman Shawchuk. So they had to figure it out uh, on their own. But try that. I think you would be helped by this. And what's interesting, why don't you just ask yourself, which of those styles is reflective of who you, who you are? And maybe, just maybe, you might be the issue. Now there's a fourth principle, final principle, I want to share with you. And we'll be done with this, this passage. When relationships between the godly are restored, the whole church rejoices. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all remember the Beverly Hillbillies television show? You know, it started, I think it was black and white, I think, wasn't it? So that's a, now, you younger folks, have you watched it like on the TV land station, the Beverly Hillbillies? Can I ask you a question? How many of y'all liked that television show, The Beverly Hillbillies? Oh, you did? I'm just telling you, I hated it. I, I liked Jed and, you know, Granny and, you know, I liked the whole group. But you know what bugged me about that show? They would start out in the first two minutes of the program, and they would have a misunderstanding about the same word or the same concept. And I'm not kidding you. The whole show for the next 30 minutes, 
They are against each other, misunderstanding each other. And the whole time, as a little kid, I'm shouting at the TV, get in the same room, get in the same room. Stop it. I can't take it anymore. It's too much conflict. Stop it. And like maybe 30 seconds left in the show, they would kind of figure it out. And I remember thinking to myself, that's a terrible way to live life. Where like 29 out of 30 minutes, you're against something or not understanding something. And like one minute of your life, you are together. That's nuts. I much prefer the prince's bride. There's a lot of conflict in that show, isn't there? But in your heart, like the little boy who's being read the story by his grandfather, you know it's going to turn out right, right? And that they're going to live happily ever after. Well, here's the joyful news. The Apostle Paul was not like the Beverly Hillbilly Show. Somewhere along the line, God got a hold of his heart, and he changed towards John Mark. Colossians 4.10 gives us a clue. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. 2 Timothy 4.11 do your best to come to me quickly, Timothy, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, John Mark, and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in ministry. You see, I think some where along the pathway, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul remembered the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You know, I believe he read the words of Jesus, heard the words of Jesus. So much that he would one day pen, inspired by the Holy Spirit, these words in Romans 12. You ready? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And how do you think the church felt? when Paul wrote these kinds of words about Mark. I think there was a rumor that went around and said, I think those boys worked it out. I think something's changed. I think peace has come. I want to end with this. Uh, over the years, I had the joy of sitting with struggling couples to try to figure out what's going on in their marriages. And I also met with a lot of people that struggle with a lot of stuff. Relational conflict. And I learned this tool that, that became a remarkable tool because it's like the Holy Spirit showed up every single time we did this. 
here's this couple, they're battling each other, and I mean, you know what I mean. They, they just could not resolve it. So after some words, after some encouragement, I would say to them, it looks like what you need to do is forgive each other. As a start, we can work on the issues. But the first thing is, maybe you all should, should forgive each other of the issues. And this is how I would encourage them. If you're willing to do this, would you turn your chairs to each other, face each other? And you, the husband, will you go first? And will you grab your wife's hands and look her in the eye and ask her to forgive you for all that you've done? And I want you to be specific. When I did blank, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And you wait on her answer. Honey, when I said those harsh words to you, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. And we would go through it, <laughs> sin after sin after sin, offense after offense after offense. And I'd even say, Holy Spirit, is there anything else he needs to ask for? Sometimes something more. And then I turn to the wife and I say, Would you be willing to do the same? Honey, when I disrespected you, that was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. And I'm telling you, I've cried more tears of joy in that moment than almost any other thing I did in pastoral counseling. Because I'm here to tell you there's nothing better, more beautiful, no, nothing more wonderful than the people of God face-to-face -face asking forgiveness, laying it down, and being forgiven and moving forward. So let me ask you, is there anyone in your life that you need to face? Is there anyone in your life you need to say, I forgive you? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And I want you just to listen to my words for a moment. I am not the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is working in this place. There are people in your life that God wants you to consider. Relationships that are broken. It can't be solved right now in this space. But today, there could be phone calls made, letters written, walks with loved ones, restoration. It could happen today. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of all of us, including my own. If there's anyone we need to reach out to, write a note to, probably not email, but 
have you resolved relationship, Lord, would you humble us so that we can be right with you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.